Tony Katz. It's Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening to everyone except for the federal government. My name is Tony Kinnett. This is the Tony Kinnett cast here on 93 WIBC. And uh, allow me to begin by saying Democrats are in serious, serious trouble heading into the 2024 presidential elections and possibly even the representative and Senate elections in Congress. Things are not looking good, and it boils down to three massive problems the Democrats have. Number one, border and immigration has become a crisis that Democrats are losing some of their most dedicated bases on. It's getting so bad that you have Schumer and McConnell back-to-back, corporate Democrat and corporate Republican, basically fencing out uh, criticisms from all sides because McConnell only wants to pass border support if Ukraine gets money, and then Chuck Schumer doesn't want to pass any border measures at all because he has this weird idea that uh, Republicans will pass single issue bills if he doesn't, you know, send through these massive earmark disasters. So the Democrats are backed into a very serious problem that not even uh, black and Hispanic voters traditionally on Democrat side in these issues, uh, black and Hispanic voters aren't coming to save them. Uh, because you have groups of, of black Democrat voters in Chicago and in New York that are suing their cities for this sanctuary city nightmare. There's trouble coming out of North Carolina. And no matter how the Democrats try to spin it, and we'll get to this here in a minute, uh, it's not going to come across as a Republican's fault for the border. Uh, Biden has sent the Border Patrol down to cut the barbed wire in Texas. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott is just laying on more and more and more and more barbed wire in places like Eagle uh, Pass. And there's a lot of stuff going on. We're going to get to that in just a bit. But that's only one of the problems that the Democrats are currently facing. The economy is also brutal for the Democrats. They do not know how to convince the rest of you out there that everything is fine. Inflation continues to rise. The Fed's trying to lower interest rates just to kind of get the economy to limp through 24. And the housing economy, according to an expert to the New York Post, Uh, says that the housing market is like a uh, train wreck in slow motion because you're reaching a point in the industry where these kind of numbers are not sustainable. And when this bubble pops, it's going to hit and it's going to hit hard. We'll be talking a little bit about that to Daniel DiMartino, uh, a fellow of the Manhattan Institute tomorrow. Uh, At the moment, the biggest problem the Democrats have isn't the border and it's not the economy. It's institutional credibility. Up until just about two years ago, the Democrats could rely on the corporate legacy media. Uh, These would be the vast network of newspapers and online publications across the country, cable networks, uh, as well as the social media offices of institutional services to carry their water for them. They could also count on the institutional trust in corporations themselves who would kind of issue public statements supporting very broad, uh, mediocre tap water ideas. And then, of course, they could count on the federal bureaucracy. They could count on the Department of Education, uh, perhaps the Department of Energy, the uh, environmental departments, as well as the Department of Defense and on down the alphabet list to just kind of give them institutional credibility with the American public. And then throughout COVID in the 2020 election, 
All of it was spent in one beautiful shopping spree. And now the American public on both the left and the right is very wary of statements coming out of any of these institutions. In fact, institutional trust has plummeted at such a drastic rate that newspaper and online publications around the country that favor the left are shutting their doors and laying off hundreds, if not thousands of staff. We'll be talking about that with Jerry Lopez later on during Awful Tweets. So what are the Democrats' answers to these problems? Well, the first you should already be quite familiar with. It's blame the GOP for those issues. See, the border's actually the GOP's fault because, uh, see, they're just not working with Democrats to give them everything that they want. It, if the GOP would just, you know, uh, fund Ukraine's war and, and fund all of these other insane measures, uh, then we would hire more Border Patrol agents. And the public, unfortunately, is, is quite aware that those border patrol agent increases would go towards ferrying larger amounts of migrants to uh, other areas in the border region, as well as sanctuary cities. Uh, Also coming to a neighborhood near you, as more and more high schools around the country, including in both blue and red states, are housing migrant families and possible cartel and Mexican gang members instead of students on the day-to-day trying to learn. The second status that they are trying is that the economy is actually really good. You just you just didn't know it. And for people that are making over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, households who are making over one hundred and fifty a year with at least one college degree, this might hold a little bit of water because they don't feel the squeeze. People making under one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, that would be yourself in myself included. Uh, well, we feel the squeeze of the economy every time we go to the grocery store, every time we buy something from a retailer, every time we go uh, to get our gas uh, or our property taxes filled or any of the other numerous expenses that normal people deal with on the day to day. We feel the economy squeezing us. And uh, no matter how many times you are told uh, that uh, what's coming down your back is raining, uh, it just smells a little too much like piss. Uh, Finally, the Democrats' last strategy is we never did anything wrong and we aren't sorry and you'll miss us when we're gone. This is what organizations like the FBI try to do when they go before the House committees and uh, individuals from those committees ask them overtly and directly. uh, For example, what do you know about the pipe bomb on January 6th? What do you know about Ray Epps? What do you know about targeting Catholics or targeting parents as domestic terrorists? What do you know about talking to the IRS officials about going after Christian organizations? What do you know about going after individuals who perhaps aren't all on the LGBTQ plus 2IA train? And these institutional bureaucratic heads will look straight in the face of the member of Congress and say, I'm not going to talk to you about that. We've never done anything wrong. We're just looking out for Americans' best interest. We can promise that we're looking into this internally. And that's the end of the committee hearing. And then these individuals on the Democrat Party are shocked when Americans no longer trust those institutions. So if the Democrats can't trust those institutions to carry water for them, who do they have? Well, they have Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who ran in 2020 as the moderate, kindly grandfather who was going to unite the country, whose kind, aged wisdom that is talked about so passionately by his wife, who has to rush up on stage to guide him on and off of stages, planes, trains and automobiles, uh, has said 
It's all about his wisdom and experience. Unfortunately, that wisdom and experience isn't showing anymore. Here is the president today, and uh, I will gladly give $500 to the first person who can call in to the station at WIBC and tell me what our president is trying to say. Beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer. <laughs> oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's trying. I, I genuinely don't know. There's something about beer in there. I honestly, I think that Jim Lucas, about six drinks in and driving down I-69, would be a little more coherent than President Biden at that moment. Uh, here's another clip from yesterday. Because of you, Toyota, Volkswagen, Nissan, Tulsa. We all know the famous auto manufacturer, Tulsa. Uh, here's the day before. Hello, Virginia. And the real governor, Terry McAuliffe. That's a election denier and not aware of who's the real governor, uh, Joe Biden. And then, of course, we have classics peppered all throughout his entire presidency, like... And turn, turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for. Because we cannot get re-elect, we cannot win this re-election. Excuse me, we can only re-elect Donald Trump. <laughs> And so these are the things that Democrats are trying desperately to ignore and lean back on again, what, that President Joe Biden is the moderate that he ran on the first time? Well, that's not true. President Biden has uh, castigated half of the country, if not more, as being extremist, evil MAGA Republicans who are insurrectionist fascists and whatever words he can dig out of his thesaurus or that Jill can dig out for him. So the Democrats have a very serious problem because it's not actually about convincing the individual. Independence. Incumbent elections in the United States have never been about convincing the independents. There is not one incumbent election in this country that has had that decision before it. Instead, incumbent elections are about getting people to the polls, getting the base to the polls. Incumbents are all about the bases. And in Biden's case, we all know that the Trump people are going to come out to vote. We all know Republicans are going to be coming out. But for Biden, we're not actually seeing a lot of promise that individuals are going to be coming out to vote in favor of Joe Biden. Up next, we're going to be talking with Celine Rodriguez from the Texas Public Policy Foundation about some of the groundwork in Texas as uh, the flyover coalition continues to stand off with the federal government regarding the border situation. Stick around. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kennett. Joining us is Celine Rodriguez from the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You guys may have heard that Texas is uh, in the news at the moment. There's a lot of chaos going on. Obviously, social media is a dumpster fire. <laughs> as usual. Uh, and so to kind of give us a little bit of perspective on what's actually going on, what the Supreme Court's decision actually means, and the real things at stake and at play here, uh, hopefully Celine can give us uh, a bit of light from someone who's actually in the state working on these issues. Celine, good evening. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, it's, it's a pleasure. So obviously you're a policy director for the Secure and Sovereign Frontier Campaign. 
uh, the border and keeping Texas safe. That is your wheelhouse. So tell us a little bit about what the Supreme Court, what led up to the Supreme Court case and what it means. Yeah, um, it is definitely the safety is my top concern. I'm from born and raised in Delaware, Texas. Go often, my family's there. So I deeply care about this issue. What's going on right now is we have a bit of a standoff between the state of Texas and the federal government where they abdicated their duty, their constitutional duty to protect Americans, to protect the state of Texas and other border states. They have completely failed to do that. Uh, Texas, under the direction of Governor Greg Abbott has stepped forward and said, if you're not going to do it, then we will. We have powers granted to us by the Constitution because our founders knew that we might find ourselves here one day. Um, it's unfortunate that we've gotten there, but here we are. The Supreme Court has said that Border Patrol agents may resume cutting the sea wire that the state of Texas has installed, but it did not say that we must remove it or stop implementing it. So the state of Texas is putting more and we will hold our ground and we will try to secure the state and therefore secure the country. Right. So there's there's obviously a couple of Democrat congressmen, a couple of uh, pundits from around the country. And I don't actually know what title to use, but um, guy who has campaigned for every office in Las Beto O'Rourke, uh, who have claimed that, you know, Texas is violating federal law and Texas is, you know, going against the Supreme Court's decision. And so Biden needs to nationalize the, the Texas National Guard, just like they did in Arkansas and all of this rhetoric. It doesn't appear, though, that Texas has either violated a Supreme Court order, nor have they actually broken a federal law at all. Is, is, is that the case? Yeah, you are exactly right in that. Texas is basically trying to get the federal government to follow federal laws that are already in place. It's already illegal to commit human smuggling. It's already illegal to cross the border illegally. Texas is just saying, fine, we'll make sure that people are following those laws since the federal government doesn't want to anymore. And like Just like said, say that if uh, someone was running from the IRS, they hadn't paid their taxes, then perhaps the state police in Indiana might arrest that individual for breaking a federal law. Yeah, that's a good comparison um, to link that to. And just like you said, we're not going against the Supreme Court. We're not doing anything that they've said. Uh, we couldn't do or shouldn't do. If Border Patrol is going to cut the wire, they're going to go do that where the state is not standing firm. And if we miss them, okay, doesn't mean they should do it. But as far as where the mass illegal crossings were happening, we've taken control of that area. And for the most part, crossings have decreased dramatically. Of course, it's a large border. Everybody who's in Texas knows how much border we've got. Absolutely. So we've seen those crossings kind of push out north and south of the Shelby Park area now. Um, people don't want to have to deal with Texas uh, state forces. They don't want to have to deal with the military, with Texas DPS. They know that we're going to stand our ground. So they're trying to find where are they not. And that's what we're doing. There's a lot of work to be done, but we're starting somewhere and we are doing it with full authority through the Constitution. Absolutely. Here on the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC with Celine Rodriguez from the Texas Public Policy Foundation going over what many are calling the constitutional crisis, which is currently occurring in the state of Texas on its southern border. And the reason that this has become such a crisis is that we have allowed it, this very weird notion of prosecutorial discretion uh, to fester over the last couple of decades in the country, where if you're in charge of the executive branch in your area or the bureaucratic head of some executive agency, then you get to interpret the law to just mean whatever you want it to mean. 
And so even though the law says it's illegal to um, cross the border illegally, even though it, uh, child uh, trafficking and smuggling is illegal, uh, the federal government has chosen uh, kind of to ignore some of these things under, they say, well, we have the, th- the authority. It's a policy stance, uh, some have said, to do immigration this way. Yet Texas is suggesting that this is uh, some kind of a, an abandonment, dereliction of duty. And, and herein comes the crisis, right? Because who are we going to see, I'm guessing, eventually the Supreme Court land on? And that's where everyone's kind of nervous, you know, looking into this. How do you guys down in Texas see the shaking out? Maybe what's the next step that isn't fear mongering on social media that takes place here? Yeah, next steps is definitely everyone's uh, big question, right? What happens from here on out? And I'll say as far as what I have to say, it's purely speculation. Uh, You can expect the federal government to do what they believe is going to keep President Biden and his administration in power. Uh, What's going to get them that vote? How can they move forward? Fully knowing that they're not going to be doing it for the best interest of U.S. citizens, of border states, of our public safety. And hey, we love a limited government. But a core function of government is to protect its citizens, and they have completely failed. Uh, Moving forward, they're going to continue to look out for themselves. They're going to continue to ally themselves with a very corrupt Mexican government. And the state of Texas, I hope to continue to see Governor Abbott do what he's doing in asserting that constitutional authority. Uh, it's, It's also likely that we might see the federal government try to come after Texas National Guardsmen who are doing the job, uh, maybe in some way try to federalize them or send them um, deployments, which uh, does happen. We know that there are some deployments coming up over the next couple of years for the Guardsmen. So they're probably going to come out uh, with their lawyers and try to figure out every way to get in the way of Texas. So Texas is effectively facing off with two governments to both of our sides. And it'll be interesting to see what happens, but we definitely need a new decision as far as what states can do to defend themselves. Absolutely. And it's again, it certainly is a a kind of situation that needs to be addressed in situations we've had before. We've seen conventions of states come together to add some kind of an amendment to the Constitution. Uh, We've seen certain things change in the way that uh, certain courts act on these decisions. Um, And understanding that uh, at this point, all of this is speculation. This is just kind of the brain turning in the way it does. I've seen a lot of other governors uh, from multiple states echo their support for Texas for Governor Abbott, for the Texas National Guardsmen. And one of the questions I've heard is that if Biden or the, you know, the Department of Defense does try to um, federalize and rotate the Texas National Guardsmen out on deployments, uh, do you see a possibility that other states National Guardsmen might actually come in and fill the gap? Uh, to kind of temporarily thwart the president's actions? Yeah, that's a great question. I I do see that possibility. Uh, Some people are saying, okay, great, so these governors are coming out and saying they support Texas, then what? What a lot of people don't understand if you're not directly involved in, you know, Texas' Operation Lone Star, uh, 14 different states are part of that that interstate compact. They're sending resources, they're sending state troopers, uh, vehicles, technology, they are helping. And I think- Off the top of your head, can you you name a few of those states? I'm not familiar with which 
which which four teams? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Florida, Idaho, West Virginia, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, Montana, Missouri, Arkansas, Georgia, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Iowa, Virginia, Louisiana. <laughs> hey, wow, wow, that's that was quick and fast. I wish we had sta- I wish we had staffers like that on the hill. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's more than fourteen, but originally fourteen joined the compact and have stood next to Governor Abbott and Texas leaders and said, "We're going to help you. We're going to send resources." We're seeing now um, with. It's very clear that this administration is not looking out for our best interests. It's very clear who they're allied with. That is not the American people. And states, state leaders, uh, American citizens are waking up. They're seeing that and they are ready to stand with us. And I think we can expect that some of these states will step up and send us more personnel and not just um, other resources. And, And we'll see that help coming through. Absolutely. Celine Rodriguez from uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thanks for taking a moment to hop on the air, dispel some of the weird myths and rumors running around and also provide us, um, even if it's speculative, uh, perhaps a few hints as to where this might go next. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Awful tweets, awful tweets, the ones that no one ever deletes. Awful tweets, awful tweets on the Tony Kinnett Show. On 93 WIPC. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. It's time for awful tweets with everyone's favorite, Jerry Lopez, Indie Spanglish on Twitter X. And uh, I got to tell you, man, before we start with the awful tweets today, I have a bit of a story just for you. So as as many know, uh, I run the uh, U.S. Ministry of Truth. It's a political satire account on Twitter X and um, enjoying a little Babylon B-esque style, you know, shenanigans. Um, I posted a tweet that says in response to Governor Greg Abbott and the Texas situation, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has called for the boycott of Texas Roadhouse. The rest of the restaurant, which okay. again, in, Indiana <laughs> yeah. and Kentucky based company, just so good fun. Well, it blew up and a lot of people have been talking about it. It got so big and apparently they received so many calls about the boycott. Texas Roadhouse officially has responded. <laughs> That's great. Uh, 10 out of 10. Fantastic. So Texas Roadhouse said, as their account bio says, this is a satire political account. We would hope that you still come and see us soon. To which, of course, I I responded um, that I will be going to my favorite Anderson, Indiana, Texas Roadhouse location very soon and order the bone-in ribeye rare as men (laughs) order their But your your joke of a tweet went so viral that... Texas had Roadhouse respond. had to make a statement. It's like um, wow. It's it's like uh, when the the Corridan Cracker Barrel location was getting um like That's call after hilarious. call because of a uh, uh someone like lost their job at a Cracker Barrel, and mm-hmm. so um some someone's wife. It was like it was like a very old internet meme, um like Brian's wife or something like that. So long story short, it's it's always fun to get the poor social media intern involved. Um, you sent me a Ministry of Truth response myself, so I, I want to hear your take on this one. Yeah, yeah. So um, Hillary Clinton made a tweet. You know, they they had uh, the award shows recently, all the all the award shows, and she oh, no, they're doing uh, Oscar nominations. Yeah, yeah, right. So this was to Greta and Margot uh, in response to Barbie, right? So she said, "Well, it can sting to win the box office gold, or oh, to win the box office, but not take home the gold." Your millions of fans love you. You're both so much more 
than Ken enough. Hillary Barbie. Now, that, that tweet is cringe enough, but the slam dunk that is the first response under this tweet, which was posted by you, are you as Mr. Tooth? What a coincidence. Didn't you buy a few Barbie dolls for some of the kids your husband molested? <laughs> I was I, dead. I was I, dead when I read that. I hate I hate Hillary Clinton. I hate Bill Clinton so much. Bill Clinton, there is documented evidence. And we're not talking conspiracy theories. We're not talking like the Bill Gates stuff. We're not talking about the Biden stuff. We're talking about documented proof that repeatedly Bill Clinton went to Jeffrey Epstein's child pedophile slavery island, who has a picture of Bill Clinton in a dress on the island. Mm-hmm like repeated confirmations of the kind of the kind of kids that he liked to molest bill clinton very openly this is not like allegedly documented proof and like no just no one talks about it i mean like in mainstream so hillary's going to get up there and talk about barbie well yeah well your your husband molested yeah so so how about that one um speaking of industries that are dying very quickly uh, all of the liberal journalistic outlets um are just completely failing the los angeles times has gone on strike and then they all got laid off. The Washington Post journalists went on strike. A bunch got laid off. Earlier this year and last year, the Gannett newspaper teams, including some from the Indy Star, they went on their own little kind of sort of strike and no one cared. Yep. And uh, people are up in arms uh, all over this. So this is from Jean Guerrero uh, from the L.A. Times. She said, I've been laid off from my job as a columnist for the L.A. Times today with a 100 of my best colleagues it's a dark day. I was the only Latina columnist for the opinion desk, you know, because again, that that Matt, tell me, I mean, is it is a Hispanic dude? Like, does that like? I think it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating because we're as a country, we all say we want equality. So why why should I take into account your race or your gender or your whatever sex you? It's none of my business. You when want you, you want equal rights here to the house. Like when you call a plumber to the house, like mm-hmm. remind me uh, which denomination of Hispanic are Puerto, uh, yeah, Puerto Rican. One hundred percent Cuban. My mom and dad. Cuban. Are both That's from right. Cuba. Okay. Yep. So like, are you like sitting there in your living room hoping? Oh man, I sure hope it's a Cuban plumber. I sure hope no, it's a I, Cuban plumber. I just hope he's a good. I just hope he's a good plumber. Yeah, I just want to be a right. good plumber. Yeah. So she's you know saying Trump is looming and all this other stuff. If you're hiring, and then she gives her email address to Twitter, which is just stupid decision. Right. However, we'll get a new email address. The reason that I love uh, this tweet is that this is the the woman who said that Larry Elder, the black former gubernatorial candidate from California, was a white supremacist. Uh, so icing icing on that cake for sure. I but I guess there have been bigger names that have been freaking yeah. out about this journalistic strike. Isn't that the case? Yeah, Taylor Lorenz. Uh, she, if uh, if you don't remember, she's the one that was uh, trying to hunt down libs of TikTok, and actually doxed one of her family members, uh, right. and then came out crying, saying she was the victim of being targeted. But she came out, and she was basically referencing the same layoffs you were. But she she used the phrase, "the journalistic ecosystem is dying." Right. And and I just oh. think that people are turning away from woke politics. People are getting tired of the Indy Star is dying. L.A. Times are dying. All this stuff is dying because people are sick of it. So I actually posted uh, a meme about this one myself, and uh, it's a picture of the Grim Reaper and he's going and knocking on doors. And so first there was the Gannett strike and they were really upset. They weren't getting their money for their journalism. And so that ended up failing. Then the Washington Post had their strike. <laughs> And uh, nothing happened because no one cares. The Washington yep. Post puts out shoddy journalism. The L.A. Times strike. No one cares. Laid off shoddy journalism. And now Forbes 
Forbes is now doing the same thing. There's a crew at Forbes. Sports Illustrated is now going. Yep. Under. Hey, oh, you know people, what they found out? They, they they found out that AI could write their articles. <laughs> they got caught doing that, and all of a sudden, you put a guy on the cover of the swimsuit edition, people stop buying it. Here, here's my criticism, is that some people have pushed back and said, well, we shouldn't be criticizing the demise of print media as though like paper newspapers are saving the world. That's not the issue. Um, there are a lot of paper newspapers in the state and in the country that are phenomenal. I, one is the Wall Street Journal. I really enjoy reading the Wall Street Journal. I have an online subscription to the Wall Street Journal. A lot of people like the Washington Examiner. There are a lot of papers around the country that are doing much better. And you say, well, why? Well, here's why. So let me tell you about how things work at the Indie Star. The Indie Star has a lot of staff that claim to be reporters, and they're not reporters. They're columnists, and they report on news. They only choose left-leaning stories. They then frame those stories without naming things that might suggest perhaps neutrality or maybe some you know bipartisan disagreement or maybe some things are good for the left, some things are good for the right. That's how stories work. And people got really sick and tired of the Indy Star being a left-wing rag. So now they have to sell their crappy garbage paper that no one wants on Facebook for a dollar for a year subscription. Yep. And yep. the, the laughter, like all of the emojis like reacting to the post are just laughter because no one wants it. And this, you've made your bed now, no pun intended, it's time to lie in it. Yep. I mean, that's, that's just the truth of the matter. Yeah, so this, this next one kind of hurt my heart. It was, uh, it was uh, from Clay Travis. Trump can't win without suburban women and independent voters. He lost those votes in 2020 in the Philly, Atlanta, Phoenix, and Milwaukee suburbs. Nikki Haley does much better with these women and would make sense as VP or in the cabinet. I think that's a horrible take by Clay Travis, no, and, and, no. and I did not like it. No. I, I First of all, I don't really care about points that people make. I care about the points that are being made. So, I, you're like, look, you're, you're a good friend of mine, but if you say something stupid, I'm not going to endorse it because I yeah. care about the content that comes out of your mouth. I'm not going to rush to your defense on something that you say that's dumb. Clay Travis, perfect example here. Um, suburban women are not needed to win an election. There's this idea that like suburban white women with a college degree, we talked about on the show a little last night, like this is the defining voting block of America. No, it's not. Um, I will also push back. There is no such thing as the demographic of independent voters. There's not like, there is no like group of independent voters who is currently right now sitting like a cat at a ping pong table, looking to see whether they're going to vote Republican or Democrat this time. The majority, the vast majority of this country with some small demographic and denominational differences have decided who they're voting for. So Correct. saying that like Trump needs to get out there and simp for suburban white women. I mean, imagine if someone out there and said, you know what? We need someone who's going to really connect with young black men. Like, isn't that like really insulting? That, that like you need to do something to win over a certain color and, and set of well, and, like, Isn't and, that insulting? And, well, and to your point, it's like if you don't like Trump. And adding Nikki Haley probably is not going to make you change your mind. No, he's so, I, he's so strong her, of a personality. Her campaign could not even in New Hampshire with independents yeah. and yeah, Democrats and Republicans voting against Donald Trump. He still won. And, and again, the girl boss, I'm wearing heels and I'm, I'm not putting those words in her mouth. That is exactly what she said. My heels are my ammunition. Yep. Like it didn't work. No one cares. So as far as awful tweets are concerned, it, that's quite the collection uh, for this week, Jerry. I tell you what, it just keeps getting worse. 
Hey, definitely fun times. I want to say thank you for uh, for letting me host your show while you were out. It was a it was, oh, it was a great time. I also want to say congratulations to you and your wife on on the new baby. I think this is the first time we've gotten to get together since then. So congratulations and thank you, Tony. Oh, no problem. Maybe you can uh, babysit for us while my wife and I take an evening and go to Texas Roadhouse. What do you say? If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try your call. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett, and uh, we have a few updates that we were not able to share at the beginning of the show. First of all is uh, 25 Republican governors have signed a joint letter in support of uh, the state of Texas. Uh, and that includes Indiana's Governor Holcomb. Uh, and there are a lot of other states that are considering uh, moving forward with their support of Texas. And now it's very important that we note that at this point, President Joe Biden has given Governor Abbott of Texas, quote, 24 hours to allow Border Patrol officials to uh, be allowed through uh, to move um, the barbed wire, end quote. Uh, as we know so far, at least so far, um, Governor Abbott has told President Biden that he is not budging. And this is according to several news sources. We'll update you, of course, on the air if anything changes. Uh, but at this moment, we are in a 24-hour standoff window where it looks like uh, unless President Biden chooses to federalize the National Guard, which, again, I'm not really sure he would need to do. Again, the Supreme Court ruling uh, states very clearly that Border Patrol is allowed to remove barbed wire or cut barbed wire and uh, says nothing about Texas being able to plop it right back down or for private property owners to hold barbed wire on their property, as well as a number of other alternatives. Uh, so we'll be keeping you up to date on this. The, the reason that I bring these things up at the top of the segment is because a lot of the Indiana gubernatorial candidates are weighing in on what they think is the best solution to this. Now, the Indiana gubernatorial primary is an absolute mess, and it's not a mess because you have like a bunch of wacky, crazy candidates who are all proposing a lot of really insane stuff. Uh, in a way, you have four very or excuse me, five uh, kind of bland candidates. You have four bland candidates and then one, maybe two candidates who um, have some really good things to bring. Three of the candidates definitely have very little personality at all. The three candidates that have no personality, no real policy proposals for the state, like nothing to actually bring Hoosiers uh, would be Senator Mike Braun. Um, Suzanne Crouch, the current lieutenant governor of Indiana, and then Brad Chambers, who absolutely no one knows, uh, but the former chairman uh, of the Indiana Republican Party is his campaign manager. Uh, that's it. Those are the three like candidates no one knows anything about. And those are the candidates that are currently bickering on Twitter as to who loves Trump more and who um, supports Texas more. Uh, so Mike Braun uh, was, you know, going off on on twitter about how important it was to get behind trump which which is fine and how if he was the governor he would have supported texas with a statement immediately governor holcomb has still not released a statement in support of texas but has signed a letter supporting them so again kind of waiting there i assume by the time tony katz show rolls around tomorrow you'll probably have more information on that uh, suzanne crouch is is trying to tell everyone how important it is that 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 she's the trump candidate 
um, even though Donald Trump has uh, endorsed Mike Braun already. And then the only thing that Brad Chambers is doing is texting everyone. Um, he's the Chamber of Commerce guy, which leaves a bad taste in pretty much everyone's mouth outside of 465. Um, so those are those three. Then you have Eric Doden and Curtis Hill, who are considered the outsider candidates in this particular primary. Eric Doden is going for a very pro small town, but big government in favor of small towns approach. Um, so a lot of state initiatives to like revivify like downtown historic downtown streets um, in small towns across the state. Also kind of a Fort Wayne focus, given some of his prior work, not really getting involved on a lot of social issues, which is kind of what you need to do as an outsider candidate and also not spending time really going after Mike Braun or Suzanne Crouch, who are the two front runners. Uh, that's a mistake. Uh, it, it, it's a mistake because they are running out of time very, very quickly to make an inroad into the gubernatorial primary. Right now, you have a bunch of boomers, a bunch of the elderly who are going to go to their local township and are going to vote Mike Braun because they recognize the name. And they're going to vote Suzanne Crouch because of pretty much the same reason. No one has really secured like the heavy evangelical vote in Indiana Unless you want to equate that with uh, Donald Trump supporting Braun is there's a lot of evangelicals in the state who support Trump. So they're going to support whoever he endorses. That leaves Curtis Hill. Curtis Hill has made a lot of headway being a strong cultural candidate. He speaks out against a lot of the right things. He speaks out against DEI. He speaks out against LGBTQ plus transgender stuff. And he really does a, I would say, significantly decent job of providing some plans but it it just feels like watching Curtis Hill's campaign that he's really focused on the northern chunk of the state and very little elsewhere. And so this kind of no candidates really doing a super duper stellar job. And by the way, I, I like Doden and Hill. If I had if I had to choose tomorrow, I would probably choose between the two. Uh, but right now I see five candidates who aren't really doing anything particularly great. And that's a problem because in the Indiana GOP right now in the Indiana Republican Party, you don't have to. I mean, Indiana has a super Indiana Republicans have a super majority in, in both houses. And the therefore, there's really not an incentive to change or to innovate. And Indiana is very quickly being left in the dust compared to other states. This is a problem. The, the national GOP is unifying around immigration, the economy, and honestly, around revenge of democratic institutions. The Indiana GOP has no identity right now. And that is going to be a significant problem as other states' GOPs start to pass us by. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Make sure you catch us on the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC.